like if you're climbing up Elk Mountain or you're bushwhacking your way up to Slessy or Mount McFarlane. Uh, maybe for some of you, you've experienced going to Whistler and, and maybe took the easier route up by taking the gondola. A little bit easier, but the view's nonetheless still amazing. One of the healthy things about spending time in the mountains is that it gives you a renewed perspective on life. As you look down the mountain and you gaze at all the peaks around you, you can't help but feel small. There's nothing like a mountain to make you realize just how small we really are. Last week we heard from God's word as found in Ephesians 4, and we were called then to make ourselves humble in relationship to each other, to humble ourselves towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm not sure if you noticed from our scripture reading, but verse 5 from 1, 1, from 1 Peter 5 says the same thing. Though it starts with this exhortation to office bearers, it transitions in verse 5 and says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Well, this afternoon, we're called to humble ourselves as well. This time, not in relationship to each other, but before God. God the Father Almighty. God, the creator of heaven and earth. Maybe you think that's easier to live out. After all, who imagines themselves to be bigger and greater than Almighty God? You know, if you're having a hard time with humility before God, just head out into the mountains for a dose of perspective or maybe step outside on a dark, starry night and gaze up into the heavens. But you know, it's not as easy or as natural as you might think to humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. Peter realizes this, and so he brings our anxieties, our worries, our fears into the picture in our passage. And we have plenty of those, don't we? In fact, we have all of them. And so Peter teaches us then that our anxieties, our worries, and our fears, they expose sometimes a lack of humility before God, a lack of complete trust. It exposes our doubt. Our anxieties expose a certain amount of pride in which we try to keep control over our lives ourselves. And so Peter's command is so relevant to us living as we do in an anxious age. Peter's command is, as the theme says, humble yourself under the hand of of your almighty God and Father. I love how real this letter is, 1 Peter. It meets us right where we are. It meets us in our very real struggle of being a Christian in a hostile world. God's instruction to us through Peter, it's not theoretical. It touches right down into our lives. It exposes our deepest insecurities and our deepest weaknesses and it answers our most important questions. In previous months, when we've explored different parts of 1 Peter 5, we got to know the, the Christians that Paul was addressing, or sorry, Peter was addressing. Do you remember the Christians? They had real anxieties. They had real worries. They had real reasons to be afraid. We've seen how Peter has talked about potential persecution, about coming suffering for the sake of Christ, they knew that committing themselves to the cause of Christ might bring shame. It might bring humiliation and possibly death. He's warned them about fiery trials that would shape and mold them after the image of Jesus. Now, you could imagine that all of that would have filled the first readers with a lot of worry, 
and a lot of fear. You could say that they had every reason to be anxious. Who knew what was coming? In fact, we know that some of those very Christians, they would face imprisonment. They would be tortured. They would be burned at the stake. They would be fed to the lions in the amphitheater. And the question was, how would they respond? How should they respond to all that uncertainty? Brothers and sisters, this letter comes to us in our real circumstances. While we may not face the same extreme pressures that they were facing, we have our anxieties. We have our worries. We have our pressure, pressures that threaten to take away our trust, to undermine our confidence, to fill us with doubt. What are yours? Which ones are particular to your situation? Aren't we such anxious creatures? Sometimes we even have highly irrational fears. Sometimes, while I'm driving, I imagine that I'll turn the wheel into oncoming traffic. You know, and the feeling of fear and dread, it's so real that I'll literally shake myself to snap out of it. It's a real feeling. Perhaps you have your own irrational fears, but perhaps you have your own anxieties that you think are highly rational, highly logical. Why not have a fear of car accidents? They've happened before. Why not fear sickness and illness when you know so many people that struggle with the same? Why not worry about failure? You failed before. Why not be anxious about anything? So much can go wrong. There's many young families in this church. I see lots of kids here. Parents, what a responsibility it is to raise a child. Who knows what the future holds? The uncertainty alone may be enough to elevate your blood pressure, isn't it? Ultimately, though, our anxieties are all the same, rational or irrational, logical or illogical. They all require the same response. Peter says we need humility before the mighty hand of God. More than that, our anxieties call us to actively humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. It's active. Remember what we heard from Ephesians 4 last week. We have an active calling to apply humility to work for the unity of the church. Here our text calls us to humble ourselves as an active thing. It's not something you have or you don't have. We're called to actively place ourselves under the mighty hand of God. So what does Peter mean by that? He means that we need to recognize God's sovereignty over our lives and we need to submit ourselves in faith. Humbling yourself under God's mighty hand means knowing the truth that God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, is, as you might recall from your catechism lessons, it's the one, he's the one who out of nothing created heaven and earth and all that is in them, and he still upholds and governs them by his eternal counsel and providence. It means knowing that God is completely sovereign over all things. Nothing comes by chance. Humbling yourself under God's mighty hand also means that we trust in him so completely as to have no doubt that he will provide us with all things necessary for body and soul and will turn to good whatever adversity he sends us in life. 
It means letting go of our anxieties and worries, however logical we think they are. It means knowing that not only is God completely sovereign, but he's sovereign over your life and then trusting him with it. And this humility, it requires knowledge, knowing who God is, and it requires trust, trusting who he is. These two come hand in hand. The more you know God, the more you can trust. The better you know this mighty God, the more you can and will trust him, and the more your faith will grow. Sounds good. But let's pretend, let's not pretend that this is easy. This is not an easy message. Or, or even imagine that we can just snap our fingers and the anxieties will go away. Humble yourself. That sounds passive, but it's not. And that command fits well with what Peter says in the next verses, which we read about the devil prowling around like a roaring lion. It fits well with the command to resist the devil. Humble yourself. That's a call to war. It's a call to take up arms against your anxieties and your worries. It's a call to resist the temptation to let our feelings and our worries and anxieties take away our trust and take away our confidence. It's a call to fight our feelings with what we know to be true because God has shown it to be true beyond a shadow of a doubt. Later this afternoon, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're going to sing the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed, it's a war cry. It's a battle anthem that we shout out in a world that tries to undermine our faith and trust. Face your worries. Face your fears with that defiant confession. I believe in God the Father Almighty. What are you saying when you confess that? You're saying that I believe I'm not in control. I'm not in control in the least way. I can't even control what's going to happen later today, let alone tomorrow. And so the best thing for me to do is to submit to him, to give up my frantic efforts to control things myself. This isn't natural, is it? We need the extraordinary grace of God. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to pray that our tunnel vision be removed. We need to pray, just like the hymn goes, this is my Father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. Let us never forget. Then the Apostle Peter assures us that when we do humble ourselves, when we submit ourselves to God's sovereignty, we can trust that at the proper time, he may exalt you. There is this humbling that results in exaltation. It's true, this almighty God, he will turn to our good. Whatever adversity he sends us in life, he will. But at the proper time, in his time. Peter recalls here with the words mighty hand, he recalls God's mighty hand in days past, like during the plagues of the Exodus. Before God rescued his people from their slavery in Egypt, they suffered under the hands of their enemies. But at the proper time, 
He saved them. He exalted them over their enemies. As Peter writes these words, God's hand can be seen in the persecution these Christians are facing. They're in the middle of the flames. They're being sanctified. Fiery trials. They lay ahead, suffering for the cause of Christ. They will face humiliation for the sake of Christ, but they can trust that God is sovereign and that he will rescue them and deliver them as he has in the past, but in his time and in his way. Sometimes exaltation isn't freedom from adversity or freedom from what we're worried about, but it's increased spiritual blessing. Sometimes exaltation, it's not rescue from danger, but it's deeper fellowship with God himself. Sometimes he takes things away from us so that he can give us more of who he is. Also, often that phrase, at the proper time, it means at the end of time, when Christ returns. You see, God doesn't promise that we will know here and now what good will come of our sorrow and suffering. But he does promise that ultimately all things, all things turn out for the good of those who love him. He does promise that he's preparing for us a way of glory that will make all suffering and now, all anxiety that we experience now, seem temporary and fleeting. Humbling ourselves before God's mighty hand reminds us, again, that we are sojourners. We are exiles. We are pilgrims. Our worries and our fears remind us that this world isn't our home. God is busy. He's busy redeeming. He's busy renewing. But the work isn't done yet. That we ought not to mistake this for our home. We've heard it in the past, our citizenship is in heaven. We will only be truly home when Christ returns on the clouds of heaven, when we're living in the new Jerusalem, on the new earth, free from pain, free from sorrow, free from worry, full fellowship with our God Almighty. That sounds pretty good. But what do we do until then? What do we do on this earthly pilgrimage. Peter gives us the key. He gives us the key to humbling ourselves under God's mighty hand when he says, cast all your anxieties on him. Notice how real Peter is, how honest he is. He's not saying, oh, let's listen up. Let's pretend that you don't have anxieties. No, he says, I know you have them. We have anxieties. We're prone to worry. We've got a lot of things to be concerned about. There's no sense brushing it under the carpet. Nothing is gained by putting on a mask and trying to pretend like we've got it all together. The question is, what are we going to do with it all? What does Peter say? Cast your anxieties on him. Surely Peter is remembering here the words of his precious Savior, Jesus Christ. And the instruction that Jesus gave to the disciples. Maybe you're familiar with those words. Let's read them and look them up. Let's go to Luke 12 and read that together. 
Luke 12. We can't say it any better than Jesus himself. Luke 12, we're going to read starting at verse 22. And Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. How tender the words of our Savior come to us. How practical is Jesus? Oh, you of little faith. Look at the birds of the air. Look at the grass of the field. He says, listen, your creator God cares about these things. Do you think that he doesn't care about you? You've been created in his image. You've been adopted to be his children. Here we are. We're so sophisticated. We're so intelligent. And yet we fail to trust and depend like the birds of the air. Boys and girls, have you ever thought about what birds might be thinking? What do you think the birds are thinking about all our coming around all over the place, the, the here and there, our frantic and hectic lives? What are the birds thinking? Don't they know their creator? Don't they realize that they have a heavenly father who cares for them? Don't they realize that where to go with all their worries and their fears. Peter says, humble yourselves by casting your anxieties on him. You are not in control. You are not the master of your own domain. Cast your anxieties on him. Cast. That's an intense verb. That's an intense action. You don't cast something casually. You don't do that carefully. It's not a toss. You do it deliberately. You do it desperately. You take all your fears, you take all your worries, and you pitch them as far away from you as possible to the only place that they can't bother you. It's like you're hurling a rock into the middle of a lake. Cast them away. So how do you do that? Elsewhere in Scripture, the Apostle Paul teaches us after he gives a very similar command. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but, and you know the rest, 
in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to god the proper response to the sovereignty of god the proper response to his almighty being the proper response to his omnipotence is to fall on your knees bow before him in humble prayer humble yourself and cast your anxieties upon him pray that he might lift the burden from your shoulders the weight off your chest and you will find that in prayer he does so brothers and sisters do you have trials do you have temptations do you have anxieties is there trouble anywhere in your life take it to the lord in prayer we need to ask but why why should you be confident of this? And this is where our text, <coughs> excuse me, when you read it, it ends with these beautiful words, this beautiful assurance, this earth-shattering reality. He cares for you. He cares for you. You are so much of more value to the creator of the heavens and the earth than all the birds of the air. You are worth more than many sparrows. Cast your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. He knows your worries. He knows your concerns. He knows your anxieties. How does he know them? Because he came. He came and he entered into our reality. He took on our infirmities. He bore our weaknesses because Jesus walked the road that we walked. No, not that he failed to trust as we do. Not that he ever failed to bring to his father everything that he had to bring to his father. No, but he wasn't ashamed to be with his disciples who so often failed. And he bears with such patience and love our own weaknesses. Boys and girls, maybe you remember the time Jesus was on the boat with the disciples. They were on the Sea of Galilee and this big storm whipped up. Jesus was there. He was fast asleep in the bottom of the boat. Do you remember? The Son of God was resting right there. The mighty Word of God, through whom all things were made, was there with his disciples in the middle of the storm. And how did they respond? They were terrified. They were worried. They were anxious. So they shook him awake. Jesus, don't you see what's going on over here? Jesus, don't you care? Jesus, we're drowning. Hear the tender words of your Savior. What did he say? Why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith, I'm right here. Don't you trust me? Don't you know me? Don't you think I care about you? Beloved, he knows your anxieties and worries. He knows your weak faith. He knows that you doubt. He knows your fears. And he says, bring them to me. Cast them on me because I care about you. Matthew tells us that after Jesus said those words, that Jesus rose, rebuked the winds and the sea, and then what? There was a great calm. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? 
of the peace that comes when we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, when we, when we give up trying to control things, when we let go of our worries and our fears, when we rest in his sovereignty. Only God himself has the power to rebuke the storms in our hearts. Only God himself can give us the peace that we are looking for. For the sake of Christ, God the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, he made all things. He is my God. He is my Father. Isn't that amazing? Does that not blow you away? You see, God is able to take on all your anxieties because he is almighty God. He is able to turn to your good all the adversity and challenges you face because he is almighty God. He is able. He is also willing. He's willing because he's, he's your father. Through the blood of Christ, you have been adopted as sons and daughters, his precious children. He cares for you. Your cares are his cares. Your concerns are his concerns. He is the answer to your worries and your fears. He is the answer to all your anxieties. Do you still doubt his care? Do you doubt his love for you? Do you still lack trust? Look at the cross. God loves you so much that he gave his one and only son to remove the sin and guilt that kept you from him. He gave up his son. That's how much he loves you. He is the father who runs to you. Look at the cross. See the son of God who humbled himself to death on a cross, hanging there for me, taking my sin my guilt, all my lack of faith, all my doubt. He cares for you. Too often we're like Martha. We're distracted and we're concerned with all the things. We need to fall at the feet of Jesus. We need to see that he cares for us. Why are you afraid, O oh, you of little faith? Believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. He is my God. He is my Father. Isn't he yours? Let's pray.